So this evening we're going to be starting a new series on Hebrews, and uh, Dan Hubbard, one of our elders here at the church, he is going to be bringing us that message, unfortunately not in person, Uh, he is currently uh, incubated upstairs, Uh, but he has kindly pre-recorded his message, so we get to enjoy that later. Let's invite Josh up, who's going to be reading our passage for this evening. If you have your Bibles, please do turn to the start of Hebrews. As I said earlier, we're starting our new series today in Hebrews, and Dan's going to be speaking to us in a moment. Uh, We're going to be reading from Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4. Uh, So Hebrews 1, uh, verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as, as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. So in slightly unusual circumstances and style, I'm going to be handing over to Dan, but just while he gets queued up, uh, let me pray as we enter this time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your words. We thank you for all that it brings in richness to our lives. And we thank you for Dan, for all the work that he has put into studying this word, to listening to your voice. And we just pray that this time would be a great time of refreshment, of being uplifted, being challenged. And may our hearts be supple and our our minds ready to take on board the lessons that you have for us. We thank you for this time and we thank you for Dan. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening, everyone. I would say it's really good to see you. But I'm really sorry and sad that I can't be with you this evening. It turns out that even having to isolate doesn't get you out of the preaching rotor. Uh, So that's good to know going forward. But uh, no, it's really great that we have this ability to be able to to record things and to be able to show them like this. But I really hope uh, to be with you all soon. Well, we're looking at the book of Hebrews. That's the new series that we're starting tonight. And I am so excited uh, to be looking at this amazing book of Hebrews uh, over the next weeks on our Sunday evening services. But whenever we start a book, whenever we start reading a, a new Bible book, it's good to ask ourselves, isn't it? A few questions before we begin. Questions like, uh, well, who wrote the book? And well, you'll notice actually in Hebrews that there's no author's name written anywhere in the book. It's not listed at the start like many New Testament books are. It doesn't have Paul or Peter. It doesn't tell us who wrote it. And we should say uh, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, many scholars and, and uh, educated people have taken guesses at who it might have been, uh, Paul, as some say it is, Barnabas or Apollos. Uh, But in actual truth, we we just don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. All we know 
is that whoever did write Hebrews was someone who was very close to the apostles. The apostles being the founders of the church, those who are closest to the Lord Jesus in his ministry. And this person was very close uh, to them. But OK, so we don't know who it's written by, uh, but who's it written to? Well, we don't get a specific answer to that either. Usually letters are addressed to a particular groups of Christians in a particular city. So uh, Philippians is written to a group of Christians in Philippi in the Greek city. Uh, Romans is written to the group of Christians in Rome and, and Galatia. Galatians is written to a group of Christians in the province of Galatia. But we don't get that here in Hebrews. It doesn't give us a specific city or a specific group of people that the writer is writing to. But all we know is that whoever the writer of Hebrews is writing to, well, it seems like they were most likely Jewish Christians. Why do we say that? Well, because when we look through Hebrews, actually, we discover that it is packed to the rafters of Old Testament quotes, and I mean a lot of Old Testament quotes. In fact, the author writes in a way that sometimes he doesn't even quote things explicitly, but rather kind of alludes to things. And the writer almost expects the reader to have these scriptures memorised, to have parts of the Old Testament almost memorised like it's the, on the back of their hands. Which, of course, if you grew up in a Jewish tradition, you would have. You would have a very good understanding of the Old Testament. So it seems like the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians. So we don't know who it's written by. We kind of know who it's written to. But why has it been written? I guess that's the biggest and I guess that's the most important question that we could ever ask ourselves when it comes to starting or reading one of the books of the Bible. Why has the writer of Hebrews picked up his pen and decided to write 13 chapters to these Christians that he knows? Well, we actually get the answer and it comes right at the end of the book of Hebrews. So, so flick with me in your Bibles. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, because the writer says this at the end. The writer says, brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my words of exhortation. Uh, this book is all about encouragement. And it's clear that these Christians that the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to are in desperate need of some encouragement. And when we go through the book, actually, we see hints dotted all the way through of why the author of Hebrews has written to encourage them. You see, we see in chapter two that these Christians that are being written to, they are they're in danger, the author says, of of drifting away from their faith. In chapter five, we see that the, the writer says that these Christians are in danger of becoming spiritually lazy. It doesn't seem like they're growing in their faith. They're not wanting to grow. 
in chapter 10, we get hints that maybe these Christians are experiencing some kind of persecution for their faith. There's a pressure on them from outside uh, to not go on following Jesus. And then in chapter 12, we see that they're in danger, the writer says, of them becoming weary Christians. Uh, that is, they're weary, they're tired, it seems, of running the race of following Jesus. And it looks like the writer says they might drop out of the race entirely. And so to summarise it, well, these Christians that the, the book of Hebrews is, is written to, well, these are Christians that are spiritually weary. They are tired. And that's leading them to become spiritually lazy. They're not wanting to grow anymore. And they've lost habits that they had before and it's leading them to spiritual wandering. They're drifting further and further away from where they first were. And that's why I think that Hebrews is hugely relevant for us in our moment of time that we're in. Because there's a lot to resonate there, isn't there? Especially after the last couple of years that we've had. It might be that we've struggled immensely over these last 18 months. It might be with our routine of church that's changed. It might be with our spiritual habits that we once had but have now gone out the window. The routine's changed and we don't know what to do. Or it might be that actually we didn't and we weren't able to meet up with other Christians in the same way and we didn't have that foundation in our week that we had and we could count on that anchored us and gave us encouragement and spurred us on in our faith and maybe we look back all of that time before lockdown all of those times ago and we look now at our faith and we we look and we think yeah I've drifted I'm not in the same place that I once was. I've lost something. I've moved from where I once was. And that might be us this evening. We resonate with that sense of spiritual drifting. But it might be that we also resonate with that sense of spiritual weariness. We, we feel tired spiritually we, we struggle maybe with the enthusiasm that we once had to come to church that's kind of died down now we, we struggle to even watch church maybe now we struggle to serve we've lost that enthusiasm and that joy in in serving and things that we once did or we become spiritually weary weariness is definitely a word isn't it that at the moment sums up a lot of how we feel over the last couple of years. We're tired. Maybe that definitely sums up how our faith feels at the minute. We feel spiritually weary. We're tired in our faith. Well, if that's us, well, that means that Hebrews is the most timely book for us to go through. And I'm so excited because it is written for people like us, spiritually tired, spiritually weary, spiritually wandering and drifting people, spiritually even lazy people. Maybe we become lazy. Well, Hebrews was written for us.
And Hebrews is written to encourage us. And Hebrews is going to encourage us, as we're going to see, by pointing us to Jesus. And as we go through Hebrews, it's important to know that Hebrews is going to encourage us in a few different ways. I don't know whether you've heard of the Bayer Tapestry. Uh, the best way that I guess I can describe it is it's a really big and famous piece of knitting. And uh, it's a piece of knitting uh, that shows the Battle of Hastings in 1066 with William Conqueror and all of those people. And in the tapestry, there's a section and there's a figure in the tapestry called Bishop Oddo. And Bishop Oddo is holding out this, this massive weapon that he's got. And he's, and he's pushing, he's prodding his soldiers with it. And he's, he's, he's pushing them forward so that they can keep going. And above that section of tapestry, it, it shows what's going on. And it says, Bishop Oddo comforts his troops or Bishop Oddo encourages his troops. And I always think that's quite funny, really, because it looks like he's doing anything but encourage them. But the tapestry says Bishop Otto is encouraging his troops to go forward. And when we read through Hebrews, as we're going to read through Hebrews, I want to say that we need to prepare ourselves for encouragement that will come in lots of different ways. So if you're like me, you want to be encouraged with almost a nice arm round the shoulder and, and lots of wonderful assurances uh, that someone can say to you that you can really treasure. And good news, Hebrews is definitely full of those kinds of encouragements, wonderful and deep encouragements to treasure. But Hebrews also doesn't let us drift or become naive. Reading through Hebrews, as we're going to find, is not always a comfortable read. There are massive warnings in Hebrews, warnings that make us kind of sit up and feel a bit uncomfortable, a bit like Bishop Oddo encouraging his troops to go forward. And yet the book of Hebrews, it's not designed to leave us to, to beat us up. It's designed, like Bishop Otto, to encourage, to motivate us, to keep us going forward, fixing our eyes on Jesus, moving forward together. So that hopefully is a bit of an introduction to the book of Hebrews that we're starting out looking at uh, tonight. And we're looking at through these next weeks in our Sunday evening services. But with that in place, with that foundation in place, well, how does the book of Hebrews open up? And that's what we're going to be looking at for the rest of this evening. I've just got two very quick points uh, that hopefully give us a bit of structure for tonight. It's it's one sentence that's kind of broken up in two uh, to become two points. So first part of the sentence is this. God has spoken. God has spoken. I mean, that is the first thing that we see Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews, tell us, isn't it? Uh, look with me at verses one and two. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times 
and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Doesn't that truth amaze you this evening? God has spoken. The one who is the cause behind all of life's existence has not remained silent, has not remained hidden, but has spoken, has revealed himself, has said something to you and me. And surely this evening, surely that truth changes everything for us. Surely now some of life's biggest questions that we ask ourselves have an answer, have a source. I wonder if we ever asked ourselves the question, you know, what is the meaning of life? Have we ever asked ourselves, is there really a God? Have we ever asked ourselves maybe, what is the reason behind my existence? You know, I was looking earlier this week and I found out that NASA spends about $22 billion every single year pressing ahead with space exploration, space missions that aim on answering some of those big questions like how did we get here or is anybody out there? And NASA spends all of this money uh, in answering some of those amazing questions, some of those big questions. And NASA, don't get me wrong, are doing amazing things. It's incredible. But it highlights, doesn't it? Our human desire to search out these big questions. And we spend billions on space projects and yet we overlook what Hebrew te Hebrews tells us this evening. That God has already spoken. We ask ourselves, is anybody out there? But God has already spoken. God has already revealed himself. God has spoken to you and me. What an amazing truth. You might have um, seen a funny little sketch that often gets put around uh, sort of on the Internet. And it has normally a cartoon person drawn and they're crying out, you know, uh, why won't you uh, just speak to me, God? Or I just wish you would speak to me, God, something like that. And then there's another cartoon hand holding out a Bible that's been given to this person. And it's kind of like, well, God has spoken. And that's kind of the picture that we get here in Hebrews. God has spoken. God has spoken, Hebrews says, through the prophets right the way through the Bible. God has been speaking. It's a sentence that changes everything. God has spoken. And that brings us to the second part of our sentence, the second point, I guess you could say this evening, which is God has spoken by his son, the Lord Jesus, by his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, Hebrews is a book that unashamedly points us to Jesus. And Hebrews opens by telling us that God has not just spoken through prophets, but actually he's now ultimately spoken through his son. And in just these first four verses, it mentions seven things about Jesus. And they're amazing things. And we're just going to look at them. I'm going to go fly through them very quickly. Firstly, we see that Jesus is the inheritor. Look with me at verse two. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, this is kind of an example of what I said before about the, the writer of Hebrews almost assuming that we have this Old Testament knowledge locked in, memorised in our minds. Because the writer of Hebrews is using here language of Psalm chapter 2 in the Old Testament. And Psalm 2 is the most amazing psalm we could ever read. Uh, because Psalm 2 describes God's king uh, that is given and seated on God's throne, ruling over absolutely everything. And I'll read just a, a snippet from it. Verse 7 and 8 from Psalm chapter 2, which says, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I really encourage you to go back and read the rest of that psalm. But this is what Hebrews is pointing us to. Jesus is the inheritor, the king that inherits everything, uh, all the nations, all the ends of the earth are his possession. He's the king that receives everything. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't rule over or have supreme authority over. But secondly, Jesus is the creator. Look with me at the end of verse two, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. We might be thinking this evening, well, how on earth did any of this come into existence? And NASA looks at theories and we have theories, but Hebrew says it came to be because of Jesus. Jesus is the creator. The reason behind life, the reason behind you and me, all of life, it all goes back to Jesus, the Son of God. And thirdly, that brings us to Jesus being the revealer. Look with me at verse three. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews is saying here, Jesus is God. He's the perfect representative of God that we could ever have in this world. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus, Hebrew says. And Hebrew, the writer, uses two metaphors to back that up. He says the radiance of God's glory, that is that Jesus is like a ray of light is to the sun. And then he uses another metaphor saying that he's the exact representation of his being. That's a beautiful word there because it's actually the word that we would use to describe a signet ring, a putting its impression into the wax seal. We've never seen, you know, medieval movies, kings putting their symbol, the, the, the wax onto the wax, leaving a perfect image of their of their signet ring jesus is the exact representation he is like the signet ring on the bit of wax the point of both of those you can't separate jesus and god jesus is god he is the perfect revealer of the character of God that we could ever have. And that means that all of our attempts, maybe we're asking, is there anybody out there? Is there a God? Or well, Hebrew says, yeah, there is. 
And if we want to know him, we look at Jesus. Because we get the most perfect look at who God is. Fourthly, Jesus is the sustainer. Do you see that? Verse three, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus has not only made all things, it's almost like he's holding all things together. I wonder young people at the back, you probably sat at the tables back there, um, turn to the person next to you and say, he's holding you together. There we go. He's holding you together. Jesus, he is the sustainer of all things. But fifthly, Jesus is the saviour. Look with me halfway down verse three, where it says, after he had provided purification for sins. I love this. Hebrews, even within the first few verses, I can't even stop but tell us about what Jesus has done, about being our saviour, the way that Jesus has provided the rescue from the greatest thing that we need rescuing from, not climate change or, or tyrannical governments or regimes, but from our sin, our sin that separates us from God, our sin that is evil and deserves punishment before God. And yet Jesus, he comes, God himself, so that we could have all of our sin, the way that we've rejected God, totally washed away. He says he purifies and he, he cleanses us, he washes us clean so that we can be right before God, so that everything that we've ever done, there's not a record not a blot on our records, not a stain on our robes. Jesus has washed us, cleaned us by his work on the cross. He is the saviour. And Hebrews is going to tell us in a lot more detail about how Jesus has done that. So we've got lots to look forward to there. But penultimately, sixthly, Jesus is the ruler. We see that verse four, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. You know, it can make a real difference, can't it, where you sit. And it tells a lot about who you are, about where you sit. You know, if I said that I went to Buckingham Palace and uh, I sat down on the chair there, well, you kind of be going, okay, that's all right, but doesn't really make a difference. But if I told you that I went to Buckingham Palace and I sat down on the throne chair there, well, that makes all the difference because where you sit shows you who you are. It tells you everything you need to know. And Jesus, he sat on the throne in heaven. Jesus rules over everything. But lastly and finally, Jesus is superior. Look with me at verse four. So he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus is superior. And we're going to see more next week about how Jesus is specifically more superior than angels. But actually, this point of Jesus being superior is, is a theme that we're going to see right the way through the book of Hebrews. It's a major point. The writer is going to say Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than anyone or anything that has come before. Greater than Moses, greater than angels, greater than Abraham, greater than the temple, Jesus is superior. He is the greatest. No one better, no one greater. Jesus is superior. And what all of that says to us this evening is that if you're looking for something else, if you're looking for something more to come, well, Hebrew says you're not going to find it. 
Hebrews is unapologetic for letting us know that Jesus is the final and the supreme word of God. God has spoken. And when we look at Jesus, we see most clearly God revealed to us. And so this evening, are you spiritually weary? Well, if we are, are we captivated by the Jesus that we discover here in Hebrews? Like, seriously, look at these verses. Does this Jesus amaze you? Does he blow you away by how he's described who he is and what he's done? You know, if we're looking to get some some fire back into our hearts and some blood pumping around our spiritual veins again, we're going to need to be captured by Christ again. And yet even if this evening we say, do you know what, Dan, that's even a struggle. I struggle to do that. But yet this evening we, we get this prompting maybe by the spirit that, that we sense that actually deep down we, we long to love Christ more. Know that there is a desire deep down uh, to love him and to pursue him more. Or do you know that's when we need to cry out to him in prayer? If we know that deep down that is where we long to be again. You know, I'm reading a book by my grandfather that he gave to me when I, I visited him a few years ago. It's a, no, a few years ago, a few weeks ago, there we go. But it's a book by uh, Michael Ramsey, and he was the former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he says this about being in that point. He says this, he says, if you put yourself before God, empty perhaps, but hungry and thirsty for him, and yet if in sincerity you cannot say that you want God, you can perhaps tell him that you want to want him. And yet, if you cannot say even that, perhaps, you can say that you want to want to want him. And maybe that's where we are this evening. We want to want to want God, but we're weary. We're weary. And Hebrews says, let us cry out. Let us be captivated by Christ. Ask him to be captivated. Ask him so that our hearts may be captivated once again. And, you know, if we're drifting this evening, if we know that we're not in the same place that we once was, or look again at who Hebrew says we are drifting from. And this isn't like childhood years where we, you know, say that we drifted away from playing piano or we drifted away from playing sport. No, this is far more serious. There's, there's far more on the table here. Do we see who Jesus is? And maybe we're drifting this evening because we've forgotten who Jesus really is. God has spoken this evening. What an amazing reality that is for us to experience. And he's spoken to us in his son, the Lord Jesus, the creator, the revealer, the sustainer, the saviour the ruler and the one who is superior over everything. Let's listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is your voice to us. We thank you, Father, that you have spoken to us. And we thank you that you've spoken to us ultimately and most amazingly by your son, the Lord Jesus. 
who is the true king who reigns over all, the one who's rescued us, the one who shows us who you are most perfectly. And we pray that in all of our weariness, in all of our wandering, Lord, that you would captivate our hearts again by who Jesus is and what he's done and that we might be thrilled. Lord, we want to want you and we want to want to want you. <laughs> Lord, would you bring us by your spirit to that place where we find that joy in you again? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.